Down Ballot is Echoplex Media's hyper-local Bay Area and California news show, focusing on local politics and the lighter side of big city issues through the eyes of local news. Producer Dave and the councilman untangle the threads of small government and show us just how petty city politics can be. Tune in live at twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia, Tuesday nights at 7.30 p.m. Pacific. Find our full schedule at echoplexmedia.com. All of a sudden, we can't talk about Neanderthal DNA anymore. I'm white, and I've got everything I need. No one clutches their purses when they're in a room alone with me. And I can drive for any neighborhood I please. At any hour, and the police don't do a thing. So if I see a penny on the ground, I leave it alone and fucking flip it. I'm a straight white male in America. I've got everything I need I'm a guy getting paid more than a girl with a degree And I can walk down the streets after dark, no one wants to rape me And I can get a girl pregnant and just as easily flee Just like my straight white male dad did to me a penny on the ground I leave it alone and fucking flip it I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need I've got a pile of broken mirrors and I'm walking under ladders and I'm spilling tons of salt but to me that doesn't matter cause my skin and my gender and my orientation are the best things to have if you live in this nation I recommend it highly a penny on the ground I leave it alone and fucking flip it I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need Shit's gonna work out for me Cause I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need Hey everybody, welcome to the Intellectual Dollar Tree We do the show live every Wednesday at 7pm Pacific Right here on Twitch, twitch.tv Slash Echoplex Media. So podcast listeners, join the now space. Uh, I'm producer Dave. I am the producer of the show, as the name implies, and I my co-host with the pink mic. I am HK Perrin, and uh, you can find me on the internet at uh, my Mastodon instance, port87.social. Uh, if you just sign up there, you'll find me as one of the recommended people, or if you want to find me from another instance, it's at hperrin at uh, port87.social. Great, and, and we're joined guests. by the Contraband Wagon this week. What's up, Contra? How you doing? I'm doing great, man. How are you? Good, good. We were uh, trying to get this ha- to happen at the end of the year, but then both of us were like, oops, we kind of forgot. So <laughs> glad glad to have you on. Um, before we get going, before we start the conversation, um, first of all, anybody in the chat, you can just hit exclamation point guest, get a link to uh, our, our friend's website here. Uh, but before we get started, can you tell uh, our audience a little bit about what you do at the Contraband Wagon? Sure. Yeah. It might be best if I kind of explain how it all got started. Mm -hmm. So um, I was living in New York City teaching mathematics. I'm a mathematics teacher. And um, I was moving back to be closer to my family in North Carolina. And that's where I currently reside. Um, And when I came back here, one of the things that I wanted to do was to start a racism discussion group to have conversation with people about the subject of race in my community. So I did that through meetup.com, and that racism discussion group is still active. I still have regular uh, conversations. Anyone can go there, www.meetup.com slash racism discussion group. It's got about almost 700 members now, so you can feel free to join in on the conversation. Um, so that's really how it all started with the discussion group and meeting people in person. But with uh, you know the pandemic and everything, we had to uh, shift and go online. And so I decided to start having one-on-one conversations with people about race instead from all over the world. And so that's what I've started doing. I call them conversation series events. I've done over 80 of them, and they're all two hours plus of me having conversations with virtual strangers about race, many of whom I find on Twitter. I do. I did find you on Twitter, and I do see you having discussions about race on Twitter. Obviously, that's not the same thing you're doing with your streams and your uh your YouTube channel. 
That is correct. Yeah, Twitter is like my fishing hole. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're 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 all on there. We're all on there, either fishing or doing target practice or something, right? That's right. Yeah. So, do you find much difference between having the discussion groups in person versus online? Um. Yes, but I don't think it's because of the online aspect. I think it's more about um, <clears throat> that it's one-on-one. -on -one. My conversations are one-on-one, -on -one, and so it makes it a lot easier. Um, also, they're two hours long. So even if there are like bumps in the road, it's really easy for me to uh, figure out a way to navigate around those. I've just, I'm just very practiced at talking about this, um, as I've been talking about it for a long time and researching and studying it for decades at this point. Um, so... Yeah, I think it's because of the format rather than the fact that it's online. And when we were in person, you know, there'd be up to like, you know, I think the most we had at one time was like 18 people at a time, you know, so like it's hard to like get everyone in on the conversation and make sure, uh, you know, everyone's involved. But I used to actually host um, panel discussions where I do like the intersection of I would do like the intersection of um, race in different contexts, you know like medicine, like tech, like religion, like education. I mean, uh, politics, we would cover the gambit. And um, I would get people who are involved in those endeavors and uh, they talk about what, what that means to them, you know, the intersection of race and what they're doing. And um, all kinds of amazing stuff would come out. They were our most popular events, you know, and those were easily able to be hosted online because a lot of people could come and listen in to what people had to say. And these were people who are like, you know, experts in their field. So, um, they're giving specialized information all the time that, you know, you never hear on like mainstream media or anything like that. Yeah. Um, the intersection of, uh, race and the tech industry comes up sometimes because, uh, HK is in the tech industry actually. And, uh, he's mm -hmm. worked in various places and I think maybe has had different experiences with how different organizations, uh, handle diversity is in a largely white male dominated industry. Uh, HK, do you, do you have any anything more to say about what I just said? Because I like to bring you in a little uh, bit here. No, I mean you you hit it on the you hit the nail on the head. Like uh, most of the people in my industry, uh, like any company you go to, most people there will be uh, either white or Asian, and they'll be male. Uh, you know, women are are not equally represented, and uh, black people are not equally represented. So, you know. There are companies that are trying to change that, uh, and it's good that they're trying to change that, but um, I feel like they're not doing enough. So, yeah. yeah, one of the people who, uh, one of the guests I had on my show, she was actually a, um, a VP of the School of IT at a community college in Indiana, and she was somebody who was trying to create you know, a pipeline to get more people uh, of color into IT and you know, into some of these uh, lucrative careers but um yeah she ran up against a lot of uh, barriers you know to doing that she's still doing that work now but you know i think a lot of people forget in all of the media coverage about the subject of race right now that um this is not something that everyone wants you know this is not a change to our society that everyone is on board with and everybody wants um there's a lot of people who don't want that um there's a lot of people who you know, would probably even give their life not to make, to make sure it doesn't happen like legitimately. So I feel like, um, a lot of people go into these things, you know, not really thinking about that reality or just putting it to the side, you know, because sometimes you have to, to do the work you have to do. Right. Um, because otherwise it can be very difficult. But for me, I think it's extremely important to keep it uh, front of mind when I'm having my conversations on race, because, uh, I just think that, um, we definitely need to be realistic if we're ever going to uh, move past the place that we're at right now in terms of like our racial evolution as a group of Americans. <laughs> yeah. You had mentioned like people who would, you know, die for their beliefs, you know, about race. And I'm, I'm assuming that's like white supremacy is generally the, the belief that uh, people would die for on, on this show on the intellectual dollar tree, we, we run into the, we run into the more, I don't know, like 
racism with intellectual uh, or um, academic window dressing on it. The kind of race and IQ people. I also was getting into it with somebody like that on Twitter just before we <laughs> came on on here today. Um, I don't know if there's a question there really so much as like, it's just that racism just comes in all these different forms and different ways that, that, that people try to either excuse it or even spread it. And I think like a lot of people, I think a lot of people don't catch it. And I think, you know, uh, particularly when we, we did a, I think basically three episodes about the incident where uh, Sam Harris had uh, Charles Murray who wrote the bell curve on his show. And we ended up kind of deep into the uh, scientific racism um, discussion. And it was, you know, it was me, me going to school on that stuff. Cause I, I didn't know too much about it and I figured before I talked about it, I should learn about it. And, you know, I had read the bell curve funny enough when I was in at university um, in a political science class, it was a skeptical look at the bell curve. You know, it wasn't a, wasn't a, Hey, you know, cause I was, you know, I'm 46 years old. I was undergrad, like not long after it came out. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I'd kind of forgotten everything that we had talked about because that was a long time ago. And, yeah. and you know, I like to drink and smoke weed and stuff. And maybe, <laughs> this, maybe those brain cells are gone. I just wonder like, what do you have in your conversations that you've had, have people brought that stuff up often? No, no one has brought that stuff up. Um, I guess there was one guest. I don't know. You're probably familiar with him on Twitter, uh, Wilfred Riley. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that. So I had Wilfred Riley on my show, and um, you know, happy to make the recording available to anyone who wants to see it um, because he's exactly a kind of prototypical type of. I don't know. There's no other word for it than grifter to me. Like I, I don't really know how else to describe what he's doing. You know. Um, because during our conversation, he um, he did the following, and you guys tell me what you think about it. You know, um, so he was making an argument about police brutality and police statistics and police data, something that I delved heavily into on my show, speaking to uh, police captains, a lieutenant, um, a couple chiefs, um, and um, a former officer who had joined a team of researchers working on police killing statistics data. Um, so I had done that research, not to mention, of, of course, I went to the Bureau of Justice Statistics that everyone always cites, and I investigated all of the different government programs that involved trying to um, itemize that data. So I did a lot of research, you know, I, I wasn't going into this stuff blind. So when he was trying to say different things, you know, and use statistics to justify them, what I noticed is that he was um, misusing mathematics, but he was constantly calling himself a quant. And so the third time it happened, I let the first two go. I just was like, okay, you know, like I'm noticing it. The third time I decided, you know, let me call this out and see what happens. So... He made a claim about something and he gave a percentage and he described how he came up with that percentage. It was, and that's why I decided to go after it because he actually like was describing his mathematical process. Now I'm a math teacher, y'all. I literally <laughs> teach percents. I was teaching percents the other day. Okay. And so, um, I knew that what he just said was wrong, totally wrong. I mean, I mean, not even, not even, you know, you can't even pretend that you made a mistake like that um, if you call yourself a quant constantly. And so, and he was just trying to get me to go along with it. And I said, no, like, that's just not. And he didn't even let me finish. He corrected his mistake instantly. And listen, this is not a mistake that if you make it accidentally, you can correct instantly. It's one that you would have to go back and like do some recalculation. He didn't need to do any of that. He immediately corrected his mistake. However, his correction involved a range of percentages from 25% to 60%. <laughs> that he was like, this is my range of values that I'm going by. And I was just like, that's pretty meaningless. Like, don't you think, you know? And he was just like, no, he like would not agree. He just like wanted to like continue pretending like he made a point. And I was just like, wow, like, okay, so this is what we're doing. Like we're Candace Owens level, just like anything goes like, and so... Um, it's just like you said, cloaked in academic language, right? 
highfalutin language that, you know, people who weren't math teachers or didn't do math all the time, they wouldn't catch the error, right? They'd be just accept those figures that he gave and therefore accept the argument, you know? And I think it's always telling to find out, you know, whether people, you know, it's a good faith, bad faith thing. People always talk about, well, you don't know for sure whether someone's good faith or bad faith. I mean, to me, that is 100% bad faith. Like, you obviously knew the error, the thing you did, you corrected it instantly, and um, you didn't take ownership for uh, the reality of what you were saying. So, you know, if that's the way you're doing things, then grifter, I usually say. HK, when was the last time that you were somewhere between 25% and 60% sure of something? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I don't even know. I was just like 25 to 60 percent. Like, what are you what are we even talking about now? Like, are we, uh, you know, I, I yeah, it was very frustrating. I mean, it's it's really telling that, like you said, he corrected his mistake instantly, which means he knew that it was wrong. Oh, yeah. He so, knew. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, and, some and, people call that lying. Right. And like people <laughs> like it's just like people try to, uh, I guess, like make it out that you can't tell when people are lying or something but like i mean you can it's 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 there's all kinds of ways of doing that and i happen to be like basically a human lie detector so it's really hard for me sometimes uh i don't know if you guys saw that show uh or watching that show on peacock or whatever poker face i think it is or whatever but yeah it's the woman who can like tell when people are lying or whatever like i'm basically that woman and so like i constantly have to like um you know dance around people's lies I'm sure that you guys can relate. Yeah, if people don't know this Wilford guy, he's a pretty frustrating person for for me to even exchange, uh, uh, you know, tweets with sometimes because my take on him is I can tell that he's he's a bright guy. He he is, uh, and he's oftentimes trying to get a reaction. I think from people like me. And he gets it from me. He gets the reaction that he's trying to get from me. But I, I just, like you had said, we talk, we make fun of this show as like, well, we're entering the marketplace of ideas in bad faith. And I often think that people will use good or bad faith to describe ideas they agree with or disagree with. But when somebody's just straight up lying, I mean, then you can be like, well, you just did that in bad faith, obviously, because they, uh, and your example is where it's a clear cut case of it, where it's not. It's, it's not something where I'm just going to guess that or like, you know, like where, um, where, where, who, where's this guy, where's this guy. And I, and I don't want to like put it in a vacuum, you know, like, because there were all kinds of other things, guys. I mean, like uh, one of the best things about the internet and these streaming services is that we can pull stuff up, right? <laughs> like mm-hmm. we don't have to, we don't have to like, you know, guess about certain facts. We can find out. Let's find agreement on these facts. I try to do it all the time. I'm happy to do it live. I'm happy to do it in person in front of anyone. You know, I'm, um, you know, I've, I've been a teacher for almost two decades. Like I love learning. I love teaching and I love, you know, um, researching things and learning, you know? So like, I just like teaching people how to do that as well. And I think people who are, you know, in academia who are loathe to use the internet for that purpose when we are having a conversation about something where there's a factual dispute, I think that's highly suspicious, (laughs) you know, like, I mean, I have like all kinds of people from all walks of life on my show and, uh, everyone is open to doing that, but he was not open to doing that. And then one time I did it anyway, (laughs) just to show (laughs) that, he was wrong. And what did he do? Did he, did he like agree that he was wrong? No, no, he did not. He just continued on. Have you ever had someone turn you down for, uh, for a discussion because you had the ability to fact check them? Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. That that happened recently, actually. Um, I think his name is, what is his name? He's an MD. His last name is Brown. He's on Twitter. And he recently had, he's a, he's a black male. I think he's from Jamaica maybe or something like that. But like, um, he started this flurry of tweets about race and I just noticed them and they were just very, I would say 
filled with misinformation <laughs> and he was pumping it out like i mean hotcakes man like he was selling them at the fair you know like he was just pumping out these tweets and so i finally started responding i was like man someone's got to push back against all this stuff you're putting out in the atmosphere and you know i came at him correct you know and we had i usually the way that i get get my guests on i do a 30 minute pre-interview zoom conference with them so i've had that with every single guest um and so we did it you know he came we had a good discussion i took notes about the discussion i take notes every time i have these discussions and then uh, we scheduled a date he was scheduled to appear on the show on january 18th if i'm not mistaken and um i he, i saw his twitter feed after that and it was just literally him tweeting stuff directly contrary to what he talked about in the meeting. Like, I mean, just tweet after tweet. And so I was just like, I, I mean, what am I, what, what can I do? You know, I was like, I can't see this. I can't not say something. I don't want to end up creating a show where I'm ambushing people, you know, like I just, for me, that's not what I'm trying to do. So I was like, let me email him. So I was like, Hey man, like I saw what you've been tweeting and whatnot. Like, I just want to clear some of this stuff up before you appear live on the show. And he wrote back like that he was cutting off all communication with me oh, and that he was not <laughs> going to make an appearance. Well, I mean, you know, you're a pretty, you seem like a pretty easygoing guy, but I mean, some of the, some of the stuff is, you know, these, the subject matter is not always easygoing. It's sometimes it's a difficult subject for a lot of people. And I, I would imagine that if somebody told you one thing and then is tweeting some other stuff out that they're going to be they're going to be inclined to maybe cancel if you hit them up and your, your desire not to ambush someone is pretty admirable. Um, I, I will just tell you that I am very comfortable ambushing somebody. If I think I can do it, um, <laughs> listen, I'll do it in the moment. Like if he came on and this didn't happen beforehand and something happened, I definitely would take that opportunity. I guarantee you. But like, I just feel like if I knew in advance, right? Like that, it, I knew he was probably going to back out, right? Like he was probably going to back out no matter what, at a certain point he decided. Right. So like, I just wanted to make sure that like, if he did decide to come on that we can at least have a conversation, you know, if he's a grifter, he's still a human being, right? Even Candace Owens is barely a human being. So like, um, <laughs> you know, I try to remember that and just try to treat everybody who comes in as long as they come in with an open heart and open mind, you know, for the discussion, like, you know, that we can get somewhere. That's the only way we get somewhere. You know what I mean? Um, because like you said, it's so difficult to talk about. People's emotions are inflamed easily. Um, and not only that, but there's a lot of ignorance out there, you know, from people of all races about this subject matter, because people have gotten so all kinds of differing educations all over the nation about this subject and not even directly about it. You know, racism is not slavery. You know, <laughs> like racism is it predates American slavery. And, and so a lot of people don't really understand that, like, in order to understand it, there's like a history that you have to actually seek out and like learn because you're not going to learn it in school and you're not going to learn it from your family, probably unless you're black and then you're definitely going to learn it. <laughs> so like to the extent that that you learn it in school too, you basically, you learn about like essentially like the most horrific things that happen to people because of race. You're not going to learn about everyday sort of casual, like racial bias that people experience. And, you know, not for nothing, maybe, maybe the school system is ill-equipped to, to really teach that stuff. I don't know. Um, you know, they, they certainly have to, you know, workshop curriculum around it. And, and it's fucked up too, because like, it seems like anytime school systems do try to workshop curriculum around that, the people go crazy. Like the, the whole panic about critical race theory, everybody lost their damn minds. It was like, it was like the satanic panic all over again, but about critical race theory. And, right. you know, none of, and none of the people talking about it were ever like, well, you know, let me talk to a critical legal scholar about this. Let me talk to somebody who does, you know, or even just anybody who does any kind of critical theory. They don't want to talk to any of those people about it. The people who, who would be able to at least explain like where they're coming from with their work. They just wanted to have a big old panic about it. And it's, 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 it's sad really because 
because I think, I think for the most part, kids want to learn. Kids would be perfectly fine to learn about, um, more than just, you know, slavery and, you know, the Holocaust and, you know, Jim Crow and the, the, the very kind of broad strokes we get about the civil rights movement and, you know, yeah, the very, I mean, I mean, like these anti CRT laws are about saving children as much as like anti-abortion. Um, the movement is about like saving babies, you know, like yeah. I, I, this, it's just, um, obviously this push is not coming from the kids, you know, kids are mm-hmm. like you said, kids want to learn. Um, this is, the same stuff that we've seen for a long time, right? Like it's anti-blackness. That's what it is, you know? Um, and it's, an, it's a part of our society. It's something that we're trying to deal with, you know? And um, it's unfortunate that the United States government doesn't seem to want to get on board. Um, but this problem's not going anywhere. <laughs> you know, it's been here for generations. Um, to me, what I see with these anti-CRT laws is I see, um, you know, it's, it's, it's saddening to me. You know, they want us to celebrate this country. They want us to celebrate America. But these laws were put in uh, with the help of James Lindsay and with uh, Chris Rufo, these two random white dudes who just come up and they're like, hey, I've been reading CRT literature for 12 hours a day for the last, I think he literally said, uh, James Lindsay literally said he was a world-class expert on CRT because he, uh, world-level expert, I think that was the quote, yeah, um, because he's been reading it over and over and over for all these hours. He said this in like a panel discussion. That's how he started. He ended up in the halls of Congress helping people draft legislation that's now passed and um, either passed or on the docket to be passed in most United States. So most of the United States is crazy. You know, I've read, I've read a couple of Wikipedia articles about bridges. I think I'm qualified to be a civil engineer. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody reads that, that much stuff about it. He, <clears throat> and on Lindsay, he also claims to be an expert on, you know, the, the Frankfurt school, and I mean, anybody claiming to be an expert on the Frankfurt School is probably just an anti-Semite, if we're being honest, because that 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 uh, cultural Marxism is what they they say comes out of that. And so, that, I mean, we don't have to guess with him. Like he he literally tweets anti-Semitism. So like you know, like it's it's all out there. Yeah. So I maybe wanted to switch gears a little bit here. Um, what do you think that? Uh, how do white progressives TM get it wrong a lot of times when we talk about race? Oh man, I don't think that we have enough time. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're like, oh, you want me to take you? You want me to take you and you and your your co-host to the woodshed? All right, I got you. <laughs> um. Well, you know, honestly, it's hard. It's hard to answer that question generally. You know, like, what do white progressives get wrong? Like, I could tell you my own personal experiences and what I observe. That's about all I can offer there, which is like um, believing black people. <laughs> like, I think that's something that a lot of white progressives could improve on. Um, and, and kind of accepting their own place within the racial hierarchy that's been imposed on us and understanding what it means to fight against it. I think um, a lot of people never sit down and really analyze that and think critically about it because it's really hard to think about and it's really difficult to come to um, a decision about um, because, you know, that was, that's the whole point of white supremacy. That's how it operates. You know, it's, it's meant to divide. It's meant to divide people internally and externally. So, um, you know, I'm just trying to be out here and help people kind of walk their own way on that path, however it is for them, you know, that they need to travel in order to get to a decision. And I want people to make an informed decision, right? There's a lot of people who just don't understand this enormous force that's acting upon their life. They just don't understand it and they haven't been taught. And, you know, you're not going to learn about it unless you seek out the information, which is discouraged everywhere you turn. So it's just, that's a situation that we're in I'm just doing my job to try to push back against that flow. That's it. That's the, that's the way that I think about it. 
And um, I'm, I, I'm open and welcoming to anyone. Anyone can come. I would love to speak to you all. <laughs> well, I was, I was hoping, I was hoping for a little more, uh, I was hoping for a little more, uh, <laughs> I was hoping for you to come after us, but that's okay. That's fine. No, man, listen, no, I'm, I'm, I'm no kidding. Point, <laughs> you know, there's, there's no point in coming after white progressives or anyone else really like, you know, like at this point, you know, <laughs> we're at a place where we need to start making some decisions about humanity as a whole, you know, about this world and about what we want this world to be. You know, we're in a completely novel timeline right now and we need to act like it and we need to like make some tough choices. And that's where we're at. And right now there's like a group of people I feel like who want to stop uh, that progress and, and that mass decision-making that needs to occur. And that's never going to work. <laughs> and so I, I definitely, um, want to be on the side that is urging that to move forward, you know, um, because that's how humans, human progress happens. So that's all I'm after. I'm after human progress and growth. That's what a teacher does. You know, it's just my way of make, put, doing it on the macro level. But like, yeah, progressives, they're definitely in that camp. They're definitely in that camp of like internal struggle. We don't know how far we're willing to go. You know, when, when the rubber meets the road, what will we choose? You know, when, will we recognize how to step back? You know, all of those are questions that I think a lot of white progressives need to, like, wrestle with and deal with and understand. And, um, yeah, make sure you talk to a black person. <laughs> yeah, one of, the, one of the hardest things for me, because I like to talk, is to shut the fuck up and listen. And I think that, I think that that's, you know, <clears throat> that's like been one of the things that i've kind of learned as i uh not just with race but now that the trans panic is happening instead of instead of always running my mouth in spaces where you know trans people and transphobes are arguing i might just watch and see what you know see what everybody's saying and particularly listen to the trans people and when i see you know some arguments about race where i see you know uh a, like a somebody I'm pretty sure is a white racist arguing with a, with a, with a black person or somebody I'm pretty sure is a black person on Twitter. I'm usually just going to sit it out and see what's going on and see if I can learn a little something from watching it. Cause I'm not sure that putting my 46 year old white ass into that conversation is really going to add anything for anybody. And I don't want to, I don't want to be in a position where I'm like drowning someone else out or speaking on behalf of someone else when I, when I shouldn't be. And then like alienating, someone or a group of people when I don't, when that's not my intent. And, um, you know, that's, like I said, as a, you, you, you see me on Twitter. I love to run my mouth. I talk almost 40 <laughs> hours a week on into this microphone too. Like that's been one of the hardest things for me to learn is to shut the fuck up and listen to other people. But I mean, you know that about yourself, right? Like, so like you're conscious of it. So that's, that's really like leaps and bounds above most people, right? There's a lot of people walking around out here who don't have that level of self-reflection that you just, exuded there like and so that's part of the issue there's it's a lot of issues but <laughs> you know that's one of them so i think that you're good as long as you know you know learning about your strengths and weaknesses and then you know making adjustments to yourself it may seem basic to to us right but like to a lot of people that's foreign to them it's literally something that they just have never critically thought about themselves so um, you know, as a teacher, right? Like I've taught middle school, I've taught high school, I teach community college now, like I've seen the gambit and like, I'm telling you the same issues that middle school kids are having people in their fifties and sixties are having people think it's so different. It's really not different. <laughs> like, you know, we're all human. We're all going through a lot of the same things. We're all at different stages of growth. We're all learning things at our own pace and we got to be patient with each other. So yeah, I do want to rag on white progressives. Are you kidding me? I get burned. <laughs> all right. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm trying to, I'm seriously trying to do some good here. I'm seriously trying to make some change here. So I'm trying to be good and welcome everyone into the folds. Um, and, but if someone steps out of line, I will, I will tell them. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I want to talk about real quick the like the best compliment uh HK do you remember on our 100th episode when we had uh we first talked to Lisa the compliment we were given by her 
No, I can't recall. What was it? So there's a there's a there's a black lady Lisa who listens to was listening to the Intellectual Dollar Tree, found us on YouTube, and ended up in our Twitch community. And um, she helped us put together for our hundredth episode some of the stuff, like some of the best best of our best clips, that kind of stuff. And I almost cried when she's like, "I've never heard two white boys talk about race the way you guys do." I just oh. almost cried. I was like, so I I did not expect to hear that because I like ignore like I you know a lot of our guests are white a lot of the people we cover on this show are white a lot of the like, there's a lot of scientific racism that gets covered and <clears throat> i mean i was just sure that i was you know fucking like not not there's not that there was a not that i'm a problem but that i was fucking it up in some way like because like why wouldn't i we all fuck things up when we talk about complicated issues and just like yeah, hearing that I mean, from somebody can was, i ask you something dave about this because this is something that comes up all the time over and over and over with my white guests on the show there's always this uh fear of saying the wrong thing but right and i know that this is a heated and charged topic and whatnot but there seems to be more to it than that right there's a lot of heated and charged topics that people don't hesitate to talk about what makes this one what makes this one so different? <laughs> well, I don't think I'm racist and I don't want people to think I'm racist. And I think that's where a lot of people, that's where a lot of like people's like hesitancy to be like, but if you're really not frank. racist, right? What is, what is the origin of the fear that people will perceive you that way? Well, I think that's the thing though, is like you kind of like as a white person, you grow up with a whole lot of privilege and you realize that that instills some amount of racism in you. Um, I mean, kind of inherently everyone is maybe a little bit racist, but you know, as a white person growing up in America, you do have these ideas that are racist and eventually you learn that those are racist ideas and you feel so ashamed for having them. And I think the fear is that you're going to find out that, yet another thing that you didn't even realize was racist is racist. But I, I just think that that's, that's a good thing. It's a good thing to find that out because then you can fix it. Precisely. And actually, I'm so glad you explained that. Thank you. Um, I think that, so for me, a lot of white progressives are always asking, well, what do I do, right? What can I do to help things, right? And if what you just said is true, it seems very clear what they should do. Like, um, there are all kinds of laws that are preventing them from getting that education, right? There are all kinds of laws now mm -hmm. that are preventing them from getting that education. They need to be fighting <laughs> head over, over, over fist to stop it. That's what they need to do, you know? I mean, the target's right there. Um, you know, the battle is happening, you know, it's current. So I get in there, start fighting. That's what we got to do. Um, but that was really interesting. The shame part, huh? Well, it's like, it's, yeah, it's I mean, like, sometimes you'll say something, something that's uh, just normal to you, how you grew up to say, and someone says like, wow, what you just said is really not okay. And then you kind of realize you know, how many times have I said that and the person that I was standing next to didn't speak up and yeah. they, you know, I hurt them without even realizing. Or maybe not. Or, or maybe not. Yeah. Maybe I mean, hopefully not. Not everybody knows every racist right. trope. Like, I mean, I mean, this so is just maybe. like community, human communication we're talking about, you know, like, and so that's what I'm saying. Like, I just keep, I know that it's charged. I know that it's a difficult subject matter, but I really, if there's one thing that I pray, you know, your white audience members to do is to try to force themselves to get over that fear. There, like a lot of people have found that having conversation about it really changes their life in a positive way. And I think that that's something that a lot of people have trouble imagining, right? Because this fear is so heavy on them. But, you know, my, um, my moderator of my stream, he is a white male, you know, and we met in college and we've been friends ever since. And basically from moderating my show, he ended up talking to his boss, who is a black male. They're both, uh, you know, working for the Air Force. And his, he and his boss had like over an hour conversation about race in the middle of the workday. 
And he said it brought them closer together. He learned all this stuff about him that he never knew. He learned about racism that his boss had experienced that he never would have learned about. You know, I mean, we're talking cross burnings in this guy's yard. We're talking like, um, you know, in the line at the grocery store and the, the checkout lady tells him they don't take uh, EBT cards, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, sometimes, you know, it can open the door. Yeah, it opens the door to a lot of other people's pain. And maybe that's a part of the fear, too. I don't really know. Maybe it's maybe experiencing other people pay other people's pain that you feel like you're like somehow shameful about like i guess that could be very difficult but like there's no shame guys like i mean like we everyone understands that slavery is over everyone understands that the laws the jim crow laws are 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 gone you know like we we get it but like we're never going to get past the point that we are now without people starting to communicate with each other more about this issue it's pivotal. We have to do it. And so the one thing I encourage everyone to do is to, to get involved, speak up, just have a conversation. And that's what I offer the opportunity for people to do. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes maybe starting a conversation, you know, for like a white person with a black person could be hard because you're worried about question. even just start Ask a question. Yeah. Well, Ask I mean, question, man. I mean, some people are, you know, I mean, I'm, pretty open, but some people have more anxiety about starting conversations, especially about something uncomfortable. And I think like what you're saying is maybe some of those people should maybe challenge themselves to, to do that, you know, cause we I all have to do have things to, that are you know? uncomfortable. How else are you going to learn? You know, like a lot of people, I think you described yourself as a uh, learning how to be a watcher, right? So like a lot of people like to sit back and watch and that you can learn a lot that way. But there are some things that you cannot learn without getting in there. This is definitely one of them. You have to start uh, making it part of your actual reality. Okay. And the way that you do that is by talking to other people who experience the worst consequences of the racial hierarchy that we're talking about. Like you need to start talking to us. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so just do it, you know, try. Yeah. And <clears throat> I think you know, one of the things about like white progressive spaces is white, prog white progressives love to talk to each other about race and racism. And to, to some extent, maybe even virtue signal to one another that they are, you know, on the right side of things. But, you know, when you, when you get into one of these spaces and you look around and, you know, it's just all white progressives, you're like, well, wait a minute, <laughs> what yeah, the fuck's going on here, spaces, man? You know, I've been in those spaces. The only, the only like pepper in the, in, in this, in the, in the salt wave. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, actually, you know, after Donald Trump was elected, I was marching in the streets, you know, with 11,000 other people, uh, all the cabbies cheering us on, like, you know, uh, in the middle of Manhattan and all of us chanting in unison and whatnot. And it was just, you know, those moments, right? Like they're unique, right? And, and they're, they're powerful, but then they're over, you know? What really matters is these conversations, like the one that we're having right now. Like, honestly, those are the things that matter. We need more people locally talking about this stuff, thinking about what kind of world do we want to create? Do we want to continue to try to divide people up by race? Do we really want to continue, like, oppressing people based on race? Are we? If we're going to be past it, we've got to agree to be past it. And if we're going to be past it, we need to make sure that we separate it from being American. Because being American and white supremacy, we're joined together. And they're not going to be uh, pulled apart because the law changed. Okay. Because that is not how it works. And so we need everyone involved. Yeah. Um, you know, Andrew Breitbart was a giant piece of shit, but he got one thing right. When you say Paul, when he says politics is downstream from culture, the culture has to change before the politics and the laws change in almost every case. Like, <clears throat> you know, gay marriage is downstream from the show. Will and grace. Like it just is like, and it's kind of unfortunate because they, the way they portrayed gay people, you know, you, they had to give you a lawyer, like a, a really good looking white lawyer, like, and then, uh, then a stereotypically feminine, his stereotypically feminine gay friend and stuff. But still at the, I think if that show didn't happen, gay marriage would have gotten pushed back further. And so, you know, that's Hollywood, but it's still culture and culture is Hollywood and culture is also your community. And I think you're right that people need to be, more willing to have conversations with people that are different than them. Um, and it shouldn't always be the job of the, 
of a marginalized group to st- or a member of the marginalized group to start that conversation. Yeah. And because- listen, you don't, you don't even have to, don't start with conversation, right? Like if you're, if you have anxiety, go on freaking YouTube. There's all kinds of content creators out here talking about this stuff. You can learn so much just from watching the content that people are already creating for you. So like, it's all about, you know, it, it's, you, it, it relates to politics because in politics, right, you need to build political will to get something done, right? Those politicians have to have the will to do it. However you build that will, you know, there's various ways, but like, Internally, it's the same thing. You need to have the will within yourself to want to learn. If you don't have that, nobody can give that to you. You have to think about it yourself and decide that you want to go out there and you want to learn something about this and you want to investigate. That's what you do, right? When you want to learn something. Um, So you've got to just decide. Most people, they're avoiding the question itself. And so they never decide, you know, and we need to stop that. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation and i i gotta tell you you you're a very easygoing and patient guy um have doing talking to people about like for two hours is is just an, an exercise in patience especially i'm assuming there are places where it almost feels like it almost feels like the conversation stops that it's hard to continue it that some that it's hard to hard to get something through someone's skull sometimes and uh, that's, you know, I certainly don't have that kind of patience for anything, really. I don't care if it's showing somebody how to use a computer program or <laughs> explaining, you know, my gay experience to somebody who might have, you know, uh, biases against uh, gay or queer people. And so I, that's I, it's I, all the I, teaching, Dave. It's all the teaching. It's all the years of I used to do Pride Network. I used to talk to people about being gay when I was back in undergrad. We used to do presentations, you know. Um, so yeah, I've been doing this since I was a kid. So you can learn, buddy. Just give yourself a chance. All right, practice makes perfect. You are probably the coolest fucking teacher. What 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 age range do you most like to teach? Maybe I'll ask that as my last question before we get out of here. Um, I actually like to teach ninth graders the most um, because they're just on the cusp, right? They're no longer kids, really, but they're like not adults, right, at all. They're still like somewhat malleable and their critical thinking skills are like on the like cusp of like, you know, development. And so it's really fun because, you know, you see the struggle and you can help them through that struggle. And a lot of people are struggling at that age. So like, it's just like, I, I do a lot of good at that age. And, you know, that's why they put me in there when I first started teaching. I was like constantly teaching those students. So I loved it. Well, it's great. Hey, thanks for taking the time and thanks for rescheduling with me when we both basically forgot that we had an appointment at the end <laughs> yeah, of the no, year no, last no. year. Oh, where's the yeah. best people? Where's the best place for people to find you? Yeah. Um, well, if you want to be on the show, I, I'm welcoming anyone. You can go to www.thecontrabandwagon.com and just submit an application. And on that website, it has all my links. It's links to my um, Twitter, to my YouTube page. I do recommend everyone watch if you want to learn more about me and my personal story. There's a poem that I wrote, and I commissioned an animation to go along with it. It's called Contraband of Race War. Check it out. Um, it's pretty interesting, I think. And, uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Contrabands, M, C-O-N-T-R-A-B-A-N-D-S-M, as in Mary. Thank you. Well, well, thank you. This is the, you, you, you're, you're a great guest, and I think we'll, we'll maybe have you back on, and maybe I'll uh, engage in one of these two-hour-long conversations with you someday. I hope you do, Dave. You too, brother. Right on. Well, everybody, this has been the Intellectual Dollar Tree. Our guest has been the Contraband Wagon. And um, I guess we're going to go into the post game. We're going to, uh, unfortunately, uh, we're going to watch a video of Peter Thiel in the post game. You can, if you want the post game and don't want to watch live, you can hit us up, patreon.com slash echoplex. Or you can email me. I am not really going to paywall an MP3 or an MP4 over some $5. This song is called Boomers by Periscope. <clears throat> when I come back, I'm going to... Uh, change the contents of my drink and uh, change the lighting in this room. And uh, we'll see everybody on the flip side. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you.
everybody, we got a brand new swag shop. It's powered by Fourth Wall and it's really great. It's at eplex.store. That's E P L E X dot store. Hopefully, you find something there you like. I'm partial to the one with Jordan Peterson and Jesus.